Get ready to sashay into an episode of Let's Get One Thing Straight, the series that fearlessly penetrates the layers of the queer experience. I'm Unc DC. I'm Javon. And we're here with our straight boy co-host, Aaron, and Coach Fred, and some amazing guests to spill the tea, throw some shade, and shit glitter all over the ever-evolving landscape of fabulousness. Get ready for laughs, love, and lots of faggotry. Allies, you're in for an education and a good time. So grab your rainbow flag, strike a pose, and let's go deeper, Daddy, into the queerest journey of your life. We're safe spaces and faces where we're rewriting the script and embracing every shade of the rainbow. Well, what's up? What's good, y'all? It's Unc TC, and we are back with another episode of Let's Get One Thing Straight, where we are diving into queer experience. And tonight, we are talking about the power of pronouns and the importance of language. We have another guest with us tonight, a friend of mine, Rachel. I would like you to introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your hobbies, some of your endeavors, your pronouns. Yeah, I'm Rachel. I use they, them, or she, her pronouns. Either one is fine. I'm a queer artist. I try to focus a lot on celebrating queer, fat, disabled, neurodivergent joy. Currently working on a coloring book that I started actually a few years ago, but I'm now working on volume two, but it's a coloring book called All Bodies Are Good Bodies, Including Yours. And it is a coloring book that all of the bodies in it are drawn from real people who are all either queer, fat, disabled, neurodivergent, any combination of those, really just to normalize the diversity of bodies that exist. And I don't know, I feel like those types of bodies aren't really represented in mainstream media, or at least represented positively. And so it really kind of started as a project to do that and to create that representation and it kind of just took off and now I'm working on volume two and so far for volume two I have about 55 people that I'm working with so that's exciting I was really excited actually when when you had agreed to kind of work with me on it because I didn't have as many men or like masculine people masculine bodies in the book and I really wanted to include more of those because I also feel like there's a weird beauty standard for men that you know women have kind of and and feminine people have kind of gotten looped into the body positivity movement and I feel like a, a lot of times men end up you know men and masculine people end up getting left out of that and so I was really excited to include more men and more masculine bodies in this volume so i'm excited i'm overjoyed and i need to acquire the first volume actually i'll send you one i need that like and i don't even want to color it that's the problem like yeah i just want to like have it i think that's so great because there's there's a conversation to be had as a fat queer disabled neurodivergent person Yeah. The project itself has been really cool, but I think the coolest part about it has been how many people that I've talked to that have said how much more at home they feel in their bodies and how much Mm. it means to them to see this representation, to see bodies like theirs portrayed positively, you know, to see people who are fat, people who are disabled, people who use medical devices and mobility aids to see it normalized and portrayed in a really positive light that I've had a lot of people say that they had never seen it portrayed positively before. And that's kind of the whole point. So you don't. And if you do, it's because it's fetishized. And that's well, and that was so that's kind of the other facet of it is I say that the book is all ages. And I truly do mean that the book is meant for all ages. My nine year old daughter has a copy of it because I think it's also really important to normalize non-sexual nudity. And I think right. that that is something that especially in American culture, we have this weird puritanical standard still. You know, it's very different from if you go to different countries, you realize how different it is. And so I really wanted to focus on that as well. It's funny, but they're the ones that's touching all the children. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) Did I say that? Hitting the chords early. I like it. I like it. I like it. It's kind of like a weird systemic cycle of shame, especially, you know, and there is kind of a gender standard on that with certain aspects of it, too, because... Mm. Obviously, like men shirtless at a beach is very different than women topless at a beach. And I think especially for women and feminine people, I think we're taught that shame from such a young age kind of is just naturally ingrained. And it takes 
active unlearning to kind of move past that and move out of that and learn to accept the body that you have and not inherently feel ashamed of it. Right. I celebrate you for taking that project on and shedding some light positively onto those who have faced that shame and dealt with ableism and have really never been represented in that healthy sort of light. So thank you for taking that on and making that your your mission. That's so beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So listen, y'all, before we get started in this conversation, I want to go over a couple of words uh, that I just want to go ahead and define. These words and their definitions are from uh, the glossary, the terms provided by parents, families, and friends of lesbians and gays, also known as PFLAG, and the It Gets Better Project and the Safe Zone Project. Uh, They all three have comprehensive glossaries on their website, so you can check that out uh, for more comprehensive terms and their definitions. But for this episode, that's where these definitions are sourced. We're talking about pronouns. We're talking about language. Uh, Fred, I want to ask you a question. Just from your experience, when you hear someone talk about what are your pronouns, what does that mean to you? I'll be straight up, man. Like It's like it goes right over my head, man. I have never even really thought about it when it comes to what people want to identify themselves when it comes to pronouns. And I want you to, I want to be very clear with this. When I say I never really thought of it... It's just something that never, ever crossed my mind with what someone wants to be referred to as. You get what I'm saying? So it's it's no disrespect because I remember I worked a job a few years ago at this. I'm not going to disclose location or anything, but this guy was in transition to becoming you know, a woman. But it wasn't weird, you know? And I think what was cool about it was he didn't make, well, she didn't make it weird. She was just it. You feel what I'm saying? And that made the process okay. If she would have made a big deal of it, I'd have been like, oh, man, I didn't know. And some people really don't know. Like, if you ask a straight person, we just don't know. We're less likely to outright ask because it's almost like asking, you know, for the sake of a better term, a fat woman, are you pregnant? Like, we're not going to do that, bro. <laughs> like, we're just going to stay away from it unless it comes up in, in conversation, right? But the fact that she was, she just acted like she, like, that's just what it was. That made it comfortable for me to talk to her. You feel what I'm saying? So for me, when people are just that, instead of always trying to tell, and I understand the validation, don't get me wrong, I really do. But when people just are, we're like, all right, you know, it's no big deal. So this topic for me is, there's a lot of learning for me. So for me, this is a whole learning experience and, and I'm open, man. I'm open to figuring out all of it. Yeah. And I think that point that you make, I think is where I think for a lot of people who aren't cisgender, who don't who don't identify with the gender that they were born with, I think the effort alone means so much. You know, the vast majority of us don't expect people to be perfect and we don't expect people to get it right away. But it's just the fact that people are trying because we want the same thing that anybody else does, regardless of their gender identity, which is just to be seen and respected. You know what I mean? And so it's less of expecting someone to be in your head and more just appreciating the effort that's put forth and trying to, you know, because like to give you a hypothetical. So if everybody in your life on a day-to-day basis were using she, her, when they talked about you in front of you, the first couple of times it might be like, okay, whatever. But I think, and I, and I would guess that you would probably agree that after a while you would probably make a big deal about it too, because you're like, that's not, that's not me. Like, that's not, that's not what I use. That's not how I like to be identified. That's not how I like to be perceived. And it doesn't feel natural, right? It's kind of like jolting. If if someone was like, Fred, yeah, I saw her yesterday. It feels weird, right? Like, And so I think a lot of it, like I said, is just the effort that goes into that. I, I think it really, and this when I say you, I don't mean you, I just mean you generally. I think it all comes down to what you care about and what you prioritize, because that was one point that I was going to make is that people who say like, oh, it's too hard to re- to remember that this person's new name. And it's like, OK, well, on the one hand, you've learned so many things in your life. You really do yourself a disservice to say that this is too hard. Like that's pr- that's crazy. To <laughs> right. Um, and it also it's such a bad scapegoat because my like the favorite example that I bring up is like, Muhammad Ali, nobody had an issue calling him Muhammad Ali, knowing that that was never his name, but everybody, it was so easy Mm -hmm. and and nobody had a problem with it because it didn't have to do with gender. I think it really just falls on what you care about and what you prioritize, because when you prioritize 
making people feel more at home around you and making people feel safe about you or safe around you and wanting people to feel like the happiest and most authentic versions of themselves it's not hard it's it's not i think a lot of it also comes down to ego you know people have had these ideas for so long that sure they don't want to open the door or or admit that maybe what they thought isn't you know necessarily how you know the people don't want to evolve it's, it's a very complex issue when you start getting into like the root of transphobia and the root of these things it is a beast and there's a lot of facets to it but that's what i think it really comes down to is what you care about a lot of it's rooted in like uh something you said earlier about the puritanical concepts anybody listen to our last season or other episodes my background with religion and being raised in the church and then my time being incarcerated, being able to study history and study religious thought and the concepts that govern our society are still rooted in religious beliefs and sometimes twisted, fantastical, fantasy-like religious concepts that still govern our everyday, day-to-day living. Transphobia, the homophobia is all rooted in concepts of right and wrong, which are rooted in religion and somebody going to heaven or hell is all rooted it all falls back down to that. Yeah. Yeah. So all of that to define a pronoun, the words we use to refer to a person other than their name. What I would like from you, Rachel, give us some examples of some of these pronouns, some of these neo pronouns, and uh, tell us a little bit about them. Yeah. So he, him, I know that the glossary that we have says that it's used by individuals who identify as male and respectively she, her, hers for individuals used to identify as female. I think we have to be careful with those definitions. On the one hand, you have the argument that a lot of anti-trans movement, you know, people in the movement have made, which is equating biological sex with gender when in reality they're not the same thing they're right. they're not related they're separate things and so i i would say that to define it more along the lines i think just to broaden it would be he him his are used by individuals who typically and typically is kind of like the key word there who typically identify more with masculinity she her hers by people who typically identify more with femininity, but I also think it's really important to remember that anybody can use any pronouns and it's not, we have to stop putting people in boxes based on these attributes because you could have a very feminine presenting person who likes he, him pronouns. I mean, really at the end of the day, it's not gendered. It's whatever makes you feel most at home in your body and who you are as a person. And so I, I think we just have to be careful with defining those as such because it can, it, I don't feel that it's entirely accurate. And I also think we have to be careful not to make those connections and, and not to equate gender and biological sex. And I think saying male or female also just reinforces this binary. Yeah, and it does. Mm. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Also, they, them, which are typically used as gender neutral pronouns. I really like using they, them pronouns. I identify as a gender or just not really having a gender. And I don't really talk about it very much because I don't want people to focus on, you know, just that aspect of myself. But if I am labeling it, I, that's how I would label it. And so I, I really like they, them pronouns. And then Neo pronouns, they are specifically gender neutral. Examples are zay zem or zay zer, zer. People pronounce them differently. Pronouns are just a really individual experience. It's important to remember that people aren't a monolith. And so every person's experience of gender and identity and what pronouns they choose to use are, are going to come down to each person. Would you say, because uh, Fred had mentioned earlier, if he didn't know, he would just leave it alone until it came up. Would you prefer someone just to be like, hey, what pronouns do you prefer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was something that I was also going to bring up because I remembered him saying that. Yeah, Fred, when you were saying, you know, it's kind of the same thing as like, well, you wouldn't want to ask a fat woman like, oh, are you pregnant? I think the difference between those two situations is that when you're talking about pronouns, asking someone their pronouns is an active step in being respectful. And 99 times out of 100, that's how it's going to be perceived. I 
love when people ask for my pronouns rather than just guessing or just acting weird about it because it's it's like it doesn't have to be weird you know what I mean like you can ask that's okay that's totally fine it also tells me that they're a safe person that makes sense the way you explain it It, it'll still take me a while I'll be honest with you man I'd probably be one of those guys that I'll I'll just I'll just feel out the room and I'm just being honest I don't know And, and that and maybe that's part of the thing I'll have to work through I'm just not I'm not that forward with people that I don't feel comfortable being like, ooh, you know what I'm saying? I just don't. It's almost like I don't want to uh I don't want to assume anything. And and that's part of the unwritten rule of communication. I will take to heart what you said and 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 that's one of those things that uh that's gonna take me some time, man. Like Yeah, a good rule of thumb, and this is something that I've so my daughter's nine. Um, And this is something that I have explained to her since she was learning how to talk and interact with people. The rule of thumb is if you don't know, which granted, we never really know unless you ask somebody, but, you know, given normal societal expectations of gender presentation and whatnot, if you gen, if you can't tell, if you don't know, then you just use they, them because it's gender neutral. So using they, them specifically says that you're not assuming anything. When it comes down to it, everybody knows how to use they, them pronouns. And my favorite example is if you find a wallet in the parking lot, you're not going to take it up to customer service and say, hey, I found this wallet. You know, can I leave it here in case he or she comes back? Because I think he or she is going to want to get it back. It's probably important to him or her. Everybody understands how to use they, them pronouns. Hey, I found this wallet in the parking lot. Can I leave it here in case they come back for it? Because I'm sure it's important to them. They're going to need it. And we use it without even thinking about it. But when it comes to specific discussion about gender, that's where I feel like ego comes in a little bit. And people are like, well, no, you know, I'm not going to do that. But it's like you do it in your everyday life. That's a tricky one, man. I I totally get what you're saying. If something happened and somebody stabbed somebody on a corner, okay, and they said, describe what they look like. I'm not going to say, well, they, they're going to be like, how many suspects? I'll be like, well, it was a chick. She was five, too. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm just saying that this is parts of the English language in this conversation that that's where it gets difficult. Right. Yeah. We're talking again. We're talking about extreme situations. I totally understand what you're saying. I do understand that they that I, tr- I truly do. But I'm just speaking on behalf of people that might say, well, there's another part of this, too. And this, to your point about, you know, very extreme situations like that, I think it's important to also remember that it's not black and white. There's a lot of nuance in language. There's a lot of nuance, especially in English. English is a weird language and a lot of nuance in our social interactions. There's a lot of nuance, you know, there's, you know, context matters. I think that's just important to remember too, when you're having conversations about it is that a lot of it falls back on context. It's funny you say that about the English language being nuanced. I think that's that fact alone may actually make it easier to do what we're talking about doing, respecting the person's gender or, or their identity, because certain languages are gender specific. They don't have a, a gray area sometimes, so they have to almost create a new middle ground for language. Yeah, and they have started doing that, actually. A lot of Spanish speaking countries have started doing because it is such a gendered language. I speak English, Spanish and Japanese. Before they had El for he, Ea for she, and now mostly like Gen Z, it's it's a very, it's a lot newer with younger generations, but now they're switching over to instead of El or, or Ea, they're switching to Eye, which E-L-L-E. I mean, I mean, I guess we're also coming to the whole Latinx movement and the X, I guess, representing right. neutral identity, you know what I mean? So they, I guess they started making a concerted effort and pushing it and yep. making corporate America respect it. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So uh, let's get into this. AFAB and AMAB. Okay, so AFAB, assigned female at birth, and then AMAB, assigned male at birth. Rachel, can you speak to that at all? Yeah, so like I would be considered AFAB, even though I don't really identify as a woman per se. AFAB would describe me because that was my biological sex assigned at birth. All of you would be AMAB assigned male at birth, regardless of your gender identity. It's it's kind of just a marker for biological sex for when you were born, what sex you were assigned. And for a lot yeah. of people, that's where it stops at. For right. a lot of people, the conversation ends there and that's it. You got a penis, you got a vagina, it's over with. Conversation what? dead. But they've weaponized biology. Absolutely. And that is where we get to have this conversation at. 
It's funny that you say that because it's really interesting for people who do kind of weaponize biology, especially for those who use religion as the foundation for their argument. It's really interesting when you bring in the concept of intersex people. Their assigned sex at birth is ambiguous or they have both chromosomes. Intersex people, it's a really complex, it's like a spectrum of its own, but sometimes it's where they have partial genitalia of of both sexes or they have one or the other but they don't function i mean there's a lot of intersex people and it's it's really interesting when you bring that up when people try to say that god doesn't make any mistakes but then you bring that up and they're like whoa wait a minute and like, right. so they yeah. used to call this this could be a bad term i don't even know if it's good or bad they used to call them hermaphrodites born as a with male and female organs yeah it's not a super favorable term anymore Mm-mm. At all. I don't yeah. know what the new term is for it now, but intersex. Intersex. Yeah. Where did that word come from? Is that a real word? Hermaphrodite? Like, like what is the root of that word? Hermaphrodite is a real term, but hermaphrodite is still used in biological terms, but not for people, mm. like for animals, like isopods that can asexually reproduce and whatnot, like things like that. They still use it, but the kind of connotation that it was taken when used towards people was very, very negative. And so it's not really something that's used anymore, except for mm-hmm. as a slur, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Um, and then um, to kind of wrap up some of these terms, we've got mispronouning and then misgendering. So to mispronoun is just to refer to someone with the incorrect pronoun. Of course, that could be unintentional. I will say if you do mispronoun someone and you encounter correction to embrace it. It's so affirming. And I can't speak to that from experience, but can you speak a little bit to gender euphoria? Yeah, absolutely. Gender euphoria is the best thing on earth. So gender euphoria is like a euphoric feeling that comes with having your gender identity affirmed and validated. And it can be anything like it can be people using the correct pronouns when they talk about you. It can be people respecting if you've chosen a different name. I know for me, I used to have hair almost halfway down my back and I presented very, very femininely. I did not look anything like I look now. And in 2020, when I was living in Tokyo, I shaved my head and I shaved it down to like a quarter of an inch, just the whole head. I shaved everything off. And I felt like my whole body was floating. Like I felt like I did Molly. Like I got damn. I called my mom and I said, <laughs> I have never felt so free and gay and powerful in my entire life. And that's really what it was, is that I it gave me a more androgynous, a more gender neutral gender expression. And it felt so good because my whole life It's really hard to explain to people who haven't experienced it firsthand, but I guess the best way that I could describe it is like my entire life, I have kind of felt like somebody who was like playing the part of a woman. I felt like I was Mrs. Doubtfiring everybody. It felt really weird. But at the time and in the the generation that I grew up in, you know, I grew up in like the late 90s, early 2000s. We didn't even really have the language for it yet to describe those types of identities and then yeah doing that and getting that gender euphoria like it's incredible and the the coolest part is that just by using someone's correct pronouns just by asking somebody for their pronouns by using their chosen name if they go by a different name you can give them that gender euphoria too and have such a positive impact on somebody else's life i had wanted to shave my head for a couple of years before i actually did and i was so scared And then when I finally did it, like I cried when I did it and like happy tears. It was it was a really, really great experience. And realistically, it sounds so stupid because realistically, hair isn't gendered, but the gendered implications that our society places on women and feminine people about our appearance, hair has a lot to do with it. I mean, you hear people there's it's a very common narrative of like, oh, all these women with shaved heads and all these women with short hair. Like nobody wants to date a boy. Like I would just date a man if I wanted to date a woman with short hair. And like, it's very, you look like a man, you know, you hear it, or at least I heard it all the time. And it felt really good when I shaved it all off. And, and it did present more 
gender neutral. Like it just made my whole appearance less feminine, which is kind of what I was going for. I'm trying to understand how people will go to their genitalia and they will transform that whole thing. And that kind of gave me a little bit of insight. You wanted power and control by doing something as cutting hair, but I'm going to get real. Hair grows back. But when you do something as in terms of your, you know, you're trying to change your whole genitalia, that's something that's permanent and can never be taken back, right? What is it about that that would make people go to that extreme? Because hair is just hair, but genitalia is different. So help me understand that. I think what you said exactly kind of is the point. What makes people go to that extreme is because that is what they have been trying to get to their entire life. It's kind of like the way that I try to to explain transness to people who aren't trans is like, imagine waking up in your body just the same way you do every single day, every single day. You don't feel any different. You feel how you feel about yourself, who you are as a person, how you want to be seen by the world. But A, you have a vagina that you feel it should not be there because I'm pretty sure if you woke up in the morning with a vagina, it'd be very unsettling. <laughs> the other aspect of it is you feel the way that you feel, but ev- people in your everyday life every single day are telling you, you will never be a man. You are pretending to be a man. You are a woman. It gets to the point where when you know yourself that well, you know, you say like, oh, we go to these extremes, like with our genitalia. It does sound very extreme, but for a lot of trans people, that is best case scenario. That is what is going to make them feel at home in their body for the first time in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, the first time in their life. They wake up and feel like everything looks the way that it's supposed to. And so it's the best thing that they've ever done for themselves. Wouldn't that kind of perpetuate the biological aspect of gendering and the same thing we're trying to get away from? If someone, and now speaking from, from cisgender ignorance standpoint, Like, I'm totally, totally naive to the situation. If biology is what's been done to perpetuate the gender and they're different, but a person who is transgender seeks to change their biology just to affirm their new gender, then wouldn't that be affirming biology as being the number one determinant factor of of gender? Yeah, so there's kind of two parts to that, to what I'll say to that. One part of that is, Just because we say that gender is a spectrum, you do still have the two parts of that binary that still exist in that spectrum. So you do still have binary trans men, binary trans women who are assigned male at birth, but they do identify as a woman. They do identify as the other side of that binary. And so they do want their body to reflect the other side of that binary. And then the term non-binary isn't like some third gender. Right. It's it's an umbrella that has all of these really cool and really different and really individual identities underneath it. And so we're not saying that male and female or or man and woman does not exist because there's no gender binary. We're just saying that those are not the only two that exist. Options. Exactly. And the other side of that is people not not you, because I understand where your question is coming from. But a lot of people who try to fall back on the biology argument They focus on sex reassignment surgery. They focus on bottom surgery. But there's a lot of trans people who don't get those surgeries. And and it's not, oh, you did get the surgery or you didn't get the surgery. It's more they chose to get that surgery the way that men choose to get leg elongation or, you know, cisgender people get gender affirming surgery all the time. You know, trans people get bottom surgery the way that women get breast augmentations. It's it's all that is all gender affirming surgery. And so absolutely, that's the other half of it is that a lot of a lot of trans folks don't they don't get surgery and they are happy with with the way that they are. But I wouldn't say that getting bottom surgery reinforces a binary just because they do identify as one of those two, because, again, we're not saying that those two can't exist or that we're completely diverting away from it. All we're saying is that those are not the only two that exist and it's either or. A great point. Great point. Mm-hmm. Well said. So we're talking about this gender binary, but mm-hmm. how has this binary language historically shaped this cisgendered cisnormativity? It's really interesting when you look at how history kind of shapes where we're at today because. There are a lot of cultures around the world, 
And especially, I mean, even in the U.S., there are a lot of indigenous cultures within the U.S. who recognize a third gender. And so it kind of sets this precedent that being cisgender or having a gender binary is the default rather than just one of many options. I think just the way that historically the gender binary has been reinforced has kind of gotten us to this point where it's so ingrained that I don't even think people a lot of the time have a self-awareness to question it or to question where their beliefs come from. You know, you're talking about historically, then you start getting into these generate, you know, intergenerational biases where I, I think a lot of the time, I don't even think people know why they think the, the things that they do or why they hold the beliefs that they hold other than that's what they grew up with. That's what they heard right. from their parents. That's what they heard when they were growing up. And so that's what they fall back on because they don't have the self-awareness to question it or to, you know, broaden their belief system. I agree with, um, People don't question what the root of their thought or the root of their belief. And really, and I, I used to have disputes with guys and arguments with guys while I was locked up about questioning uh, uh, religious beliefs and whatnot. And I would say, man, it's just hard to go against grandma to generalize it. It's hard to question everything that you've ever been taught in your entire life and to say that possibly they're wrong. Yeah, absolutely. That is a hard, hard, hard thing to do. And then to look at those people and say, and ask them politely, do you think you could have been wrong? And then for them to say, no, Reverend such and such told me and Reverend such and such said and the New King James Version said and, and the Hadith and such and such said and the book said, like, what if the possibility exists that all of them are wrong? That is a hard thing for people to do. And people never really even fathom that possibility. But once you present it to them, they look at you like you a fucking nut. And I'm like, bro, but you got to ask yourself the possibility that somebody taught you wrong. It all has a sort of beginning. And that's why for me personally, I believe in the Bible. I believe in Jesus. But I look at that as a collection of stories that's told that is sort of it, it's a guide. That's the way that I look at it. You know, I don't look at it as like every word in there. It literally means what it means. And there's some other books out there, too, that are the same. And if you I'm a more worldly thinker as. There can't be this many books that speak to so many truths and only one is correct. I think there's a lot of stuff that's out there that's useful information. The part that I that that's hard for me with people is is when they just don't open their mind up, like you said, Aaron, to some possibilities that there is some other stuff that somebody may be withholding or somebody has completely altered. You know, you guys all bring up great points and, and it's good for us to be able to do it in a forum where we can question, hey, what does this really mean and break it down? I really want to know about this this uh, misconception. I want to ask you about, Rachel, about when, and it's right here when I say I might offend someone if I ask them about their pronouns. It says the reality is most individuals don't mind being asked about it, but I'm still scared. So how do I get over that, man? How do you know, help me. I, this is not probably not going to be the answer that you like for the first part of it. But I think for the first part, for a while, you're just going to have to get comfortable being uncomfortable because a lot of it is just normalizing. And the more that you get comfortable asking people, the more that it won't feel uncomfortable anymore. And I think the second part of it is to change your mindset from like, I don't want to offend somebody by trying to figure out like who they are or how they identify. But if you keep it in your mind, more sense of I'm going to ask this person because I want them to know that I'm a safe person and I want them to know that I respect them for whoever they are and I respect them enough to ask. If you're, if you're putting it in your mind as a way of being loving and, you know, as being respectful and intentionally putting in the space for them to feel safe, then once you kind of shift your mind, your mindset over to that, I think it gets a lot easier because you're not coming from a place of worrying about offending somebody. You're actively trying to do the opposite. Mm. Right, right. Now, there's another one. I got to be straight up. It's a lot of pronouns. I ain't going to remember them all. I got to Google some of them. Like even some of these that you guys said, zero. I, I can't even pronounce it right. I'm messing it up. Z, Zem, zero. Like I ain't going to remember that, man. So how if somebody told me that, I'd be like, oh, okay. And then I have to get on my phone and Google. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Do we just need to pronounce more of these over time? And so that people, because there's a lot here that I'm not going to remember. 
how do I get comfortable with that? Or like, help me out here. Help me out. A straight man. Just help a straight man out. Yeah, I can help a straight man out. <laughs> I, I can too, actually. I've been out <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I've been out. But man, we we talk. Man, we talk about pronouns. We ain't talking about nothing. Oh, no. okay. My bad. I don't know where you going. Okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, yeah. So I will say that a lot of it just go. It's gonna come with time and being open minded to it and and using it. Something that I do when I meet somebody new, especially if they do use neo pronouns, which I don't have, I don't have a lot of friends who do, but I have a couple. And if I'm struggling with using their correct pronouns, I will purposely use like a couple of statements, even just inside your head, that use their pronouns to kind of reinforce it in your mind so that it's easier to remember. But it also goes back to the part two that I was saying about it doesn't have to be perfect. Just the fact that you are putting in the effort means so much to people. And obviously, like, I can't speak for the entire queer community, but I can speak for myself. And I know that it it doesn't have to be perfect. We don't expect you to never mess up, especially for people who do use neo pronouns, because a lot of people just aren't educated on it. They don't know about it. They don't understand. I feel like the word privilege is it's like a buzzword lately, especially with media and whatnot. But I do think that there is a certain level of privilege that comes along with being cisgender or identifying with the gender that you were born. Because like you were saying earlier, you're like, it's just not something I ever think about, but you also use pronouns. But there's a certain level, there's a certain layer of privilege there where because you identify with the pro- with the gender that you were assigned at birth and because it matches the pronouns that you use, you've never had to think about it. And you've never had to have people using the wrong ones to talk about you. You're into, you know, so there's that privilege there of like, it it doesn't even cross your mind. Right. That's true to an extent. If I was in transition or I wanted to be something different or I want to identify as something different, I have to help people with that. That would be my thought. No matter how much you do, there's going to be mistakes. We got to be okay with the mistakes and understand which ones are egregious and which ones aren't. But this this is the life right here. This is the life part. And I think that for me, that's the frustrating part about this conversation sometimes. Is, and I'm not saying you did it. Understand what I'm saying for the sake of the conversation. I'm saying that what gets celebrated is, yo, okay, you came out or you found yourself or you are this, that, and the third. And then they don't realize, okay, but this is the starting point to the rest of your life. Nobody ever talks about, okay, you at, we celebrate you. We love you. We love you. Da, 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 da. And then the first time you meet a problem, people are like, oh, you're a hater. You're this is like, no, bro, that problem is going to come for the rest of your life. How do you be the teaching point? And I, that's the part that I have difficulty with because it's like I'm, in, I'm married to I'm interracial marriage. I know for the rest of my life, I'm always going to get problems with people. Even my son, he's like, man, I got people, they they be trying to tell me what kind of, you know, whether I'm black enough or white enough. And I finally had to break it down and say, yo, I love you, Trey, but you're going to deal with that for the rest of your life. You got to be the teaching point to it. You can't get mad at it. People are going to misgender you and people are going to be afraid to talk to you. And that's going to be for the rest of your life. The only way that that can be rectified is, number one, knowing that you're going to deal with that. And hopefully it lessens over time with conversations like these that make it more comfortable to talk about Mm -hmm. this. Right. But also we have to let our people know that are young between 18 and 24 that, yo, okay, you can make a change. But understand, you're not just going to get to this hooray moment that you've made this change and the rest of your life is going to be hooray. Like, right. no, nah, bro, you made this change, then you still going to deal with these confrontations and some are going to be big, some are going to be little, but it's how you, you, you got to change a little bit too, to help some people. Cause some people just, they not going to come along. Part of your community is going to have to dog walk us a little bit and teach us too. And then part of our community has to be able to go along and be like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. No, I, I think it's kind of like a, a weird, cause I, I don't disagree with you. Um, I think it's kind of a weird gray area where it's where the question becomes, where do we find the balance between I want people to be more open minded and I want to help educate people and I'm patient and understanding and trying to help people understand. And then the other side of it is I don't owe people emotional labor. Right. Because Mm. 
you know, how much of that responsibility also falls on the other person. And I'm sure like, obviously I'm not black, so I can't speak on black experiences and I wouldn't speak on black experiences, but I would imagine, or I'll just ask you, do you find that that burden of emotional labor when it comes to black issues, do you find that falling on you a lot? You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll be straight up. When I was young, I did. I put so much energy into that shit. Mm-hmm. Why are people doing this? Why are they treating me some type of way? And I didn't realize when your thought process is not on looking at everyone to highlight your own insecurity, mm-hmm. you open up more avenues to help other people realize who you are. Part of the problem with most mm-hmm. people is that they're so insecure in their own whatever they are that they highlight these extremes in their head and they think the first white person that looks at them weird is that extreme. And they don't understand. Now that's your insecurity. So you you really internally, there's a lot of work that you have to do within yourself, no matter what kind of human you are. It's a lot of work that you have to come confident with. You have to just be. And that's why during my generation, when RuPaul came out, RuPaul was like, yo, yo, this is who I am. Shit. And we were like, hell yeah, go ahead, RuPaul. Dennis Rodman was like, hey, I'm going to marry myself. We were like, hell yeah, go ahead, Dennis. It was like, (laughs) you just be. That's just who you are. And I think you have to get to the point where you have to overcome what you think people are going to say and do. Because usually what you think people are going to say and do, that's the thing you're most afraid of. And that's the thing you're most afraid to confront. But in all honesty, most people aren't the most extreme in your head and you got to deal with that part of insecurity. So there came to a point where I just said, I'm going to be me regardless of how people feel about me. And people have to come to that point. I'm yeah. never going to be like, why doesn't racism go away? It will forever be here. It'll never go away. Like <laughs> it's straight up. Like we used to say this shit in it's the nineties. Why is race? Racism's always going to be here. It's not going to go away. Right. And that's the part people don't talk about. I get adamant about that part is because We can celebrate these movements, but I'm saying, let's be real with our people. And that's where I'm at. I'm like, hey, yo, okay, great. You make this change, but do know that it's a lifelong now. Let's get mentally ready for this. I got a question. So, super rights era, you know, a lot of in the 60s and 70s, early 60s, late 50s, early mid 60s, and all throughout the era, a lot of uh, normalizing of racial relations. A lot of black-white interaction, love affairs coming out. You got the big case, Loving vs. Virginia, about interracial marriage. Mm-hmm. And people call it a trend. All y'all are y'all are getting some rights, and now you feel it's okay. It's just, it'll wear off. You won't like white women. Women won't like black men. Black women won't like white men, vice versa. So what do you say to the people who say that this gender-affirming, uh, this identity stuff, quote-unquote, is just a trend? It's just a fad. It's just something you're going through in the modern era. It'll it'll wear off, and in the year twenty thirty, it'll be something else. You know what? What's your response to those people who talk like that and say that type of stuff? I would say, and not just necessarily being non-binary, not just being, but being anything that's not heteronormative, being anything that's not cisgendered. I I've heard it's just a trend. I would say that it's way more than that. First of all, to not have walked and lived the experience, you don't really understand that it's intrinsically a part of who we are, regardless if it's our pronoun, regardless if it's our gender identity, regardless if it's our sexual orientation. Uh, We've lived our entire life grappling with it at the intersections of that and everything else that we've dealt with. And before we've ever told you, we've spent years and years and years coming to terms with it. Mm Mm-hmm. So when we tell you, no, it's not just a fucking fad. It's intrinsically who we are. And all we want is validation and respect. To be seen. To be treated as equal. Yeah. Well, and if I can add to that, too. Historically, like, trans people have always existed. Trans people have existed forever. And and when you talk about how, well, we never used to see it, you know, back in the day... It's it's a lot like autism diagnoses. If you bear with me, I'll make the make the connection because for the longest time, you know, people would say like, oh, people people weren't autistic back in my day. It's like, no, actually they were, but there was no diagnosis for it. And so people just suffered. And that was the thing with trans people, too. There were there trans people have always existed. And 
you didn't see them a lot before either a because it was not societally accepted and they knew that there was no way that realistically they could present it the the way that they wanted to or you know the trans suicide rate is 51% a lot of them didn't live to be visible to be seen you know but to say that it's just a trend i mean it's it's been around forever literally forever i really want to piggyback on what you're saying um a result of this invisibility has led to, like you said, these 51% of trans lives just not even living to be that representation, to be seen, to speak on it. I think that really highlights how important it is to get this right. You know, Fred, Aaron, you guys talk about, you know, you know, it makes me feel uncomfortable, but I want you just to listen to this. This was in 2012. The Trans Pulse Project focused on the health of transgender people and those who were frequently misgendered had higher levels of psychological distress, including depression and anxiety. 2014, the National Transgender Discrimination Survey surveyed over 6,000 transgender non-conforming individuals, high levels of mistreatment, including misgendering, higher attempts of suicide, higher rates of suicide successfully, homelessness, homelessness and substance abuse. 2018, to the Journal of Counseling Psychology Study, the experience of being misgendered was associated with increased psych- psychological distress, decreased life satisfaction. For even more recent, 2021 Trevor Project, if you haven't heard of the Trevor Project, first of all, I highly suggest you look into the Trevor Project, but the Trevor Project had a study on LGBTQ youth and mental health, okay? And youth who reported experiences of gender identity-based discrimination, like being misgendered, had significantly higher rates of attempted suicide compared to those who did not. So what I, I I'd say all of that to drive home, this isn't new and this is this is ongoing. And it's not just, oh, well, I don't want to make them uncomfortable. No, by affirming them, you could literally save their life because they've dealt with years of misgendering, mispronouning, of abuse, of psychological warfare. And and just by you taking the time to, even if you just said they without knowing and giving them the space to correct you, you could literally be that one person, that one ounce of gender euphoria that they need to keep going to the next day. I think that is why it's important. And I want you to speak to that, Rachel. And I want you to give the the tools that an ally or that anyone, even within our own community who's ignorant, what, what, what do we need to promote visibility? What do we need to do to, to move ourselves uh, to being more inclusive in our language and our use of pronouns? Yeah. Um, so to, to your first point about using you know the correct pronouns and and with all of the studies that we just talked about i think a lot of cisgender people don't i wouldn't say don't understand but don't think about the fact that if you use they and it's not the pronouns that they that a trans or gender nonconforming person uses it's not it's not a big deal but at least you're not purposely misgendering them do you see what I'm saying you're not assuming anything about them and I think something that a lot of cisgender people also just don't think about in their day-to-day life is that for cisgender people again and that's where I kind of talk about that privilege because for them that's not something that they experience regularly if even if somebody does even if somebody does use the wrong pronouns I mean even if like Fred even if someone did use she hurt when they were talking about you you'd be like, oh, that's weird, but it's it's a one-time thing, and then you would move on in your life. It's not that big of a deal, but for trans people and for people who are gender non-conforming, it is constant all day, every day, with every single person that they come into contact with, and there's only so much that you can take of people either directly or indirectly telling you that your identity is fake before that starts to have a negative impact on your mental health our identity of self is is the biggest part of ourselves how we see ourselves how we present ourselves to the world how we want to be perceived you know when you're basically being gaslit by the entire world that your entire you know gender identity is fake 
it's not surprising that we have such a high rate of suicide because that would destroy almost anybody. I would say the biggest thing is if you don't know, just default to they, them and asking. And this is going to sound kind of like tough love, Fred, because just because you were the one that I had the conversation about or had the conversation with about what we had talked about. But, you know, you're talking about feeling uncomfortable with with asking people their pronouns. And I my answer to that is like, get over it. Your uncomfortability with with asking someone their pronouns is not the same thing as their mental health deteriorating because someone was too afraid to ask or someone feeling suicidal because someone was too afraid to ask. You know what I mean? And so when it when it gets to feeling uncomfortable asking people their their pronouns, you got to do what you got to do to get past that and understand that what you're doing is a positive thing. You're not going to offend anybody. And if you do, it's going to be an anomaly. The vast majority of trans and gender nonconforming people are going to be incredibly grateful that you even asked. I get like giddy when people ask me because, like I said, it that's affirming in and of itself to me, at least to me, it is. And it all, like I said, it also tells me that they're a safe person. How important is it to unlearn your unconscious bias when you're approaching? adjusting or realigning yourself with making sure that you're being aware of someone's pronouns and what they what they prefer. I think it's incredibly important. I definitely agree with what Fred was saying about us being teaching points for people and helping people to learn because realistically even if we don't owe people emotional labor, that's also going to be the best way for us to move forward as a society is to work together, which is exactly what Fred said. And I really, really agree with that. Um, But the other side of that is it is also important for us to take our own accountability and understand that if we want to be a part of this, if we want to be on the right side of history, we do have to take accountability for our own biases. And we do have to take accountability for our own feelings and for, you know, our own insecurities and, and for our own ego and, questioning, you know, what we've believed our entire lives. If, you know, when new information presents, I mean, I think that's incredibly important because you're always learning. And there's, I think part of it is kind of dissolving that shame around changing your beliefs that you've held for so long. And I think once we can kind of start moving towards that, I think it's going to be really good. You know, I think, I think we're always evolving and so I think it's always important to be questioning. And that's, I mean, that goes for me. That goes for you. I mean, even people in the community. Right. So like I'm still constantly learning and constantly questioning my own thought process and biases. And, you know, it's not, this is not an us versus them, you know, within or with, you know, that's outside not. of the queer community. It's even people within the queer community. We're also responsible for learning. Absolutely. Talk to our listeners who are here. They're struggling with their identity. They're struggling maybe with people in their lives who don't want to recognize their pronouns, who don't want to use that non-binary language. Just pour your heart out to them for a minute. There is a whole world of people out there who will love you exactly the way that you are and who will not only accept who you are and how you identify, but will celebrate that with you. And, and we'll cheer you on in whatever that journey looks like. And if, you know, especially for trans youth or people who are still living with family who are not supportive, it's not going to last forever. That is not the only version of family out there. That is not all you have. There, like I said, there is a whole world full of people who will absolutely love on you mm. and celebrate. That's, that's facts. Yeah. Mm. One thing that was moving was, uh, Rachel, when you talked about cutting your hair, I, I think that analogy that made a, you know, just for a straight man, that made a lot of sense because of the, the inherent power, if you will, that is given to your hair 
based on society of how you should be a female, right? And you took that back for yourself. And by you doing that, how how you liberated yourself. So that for me, that was um that was eye-opening and and that was something that helped me learn how you get to that point. Another thing that was eye-opening for me really was the statistics on on transgender people. And and when you said it, Auntie, what really brought me to this point was who's listening to this that's in a rural area, or maybe they're in the South, or maybe they're in an area that doesn't have a community that's as big and as vast as this. Because if you're in a community that doesn't that doesn't that access, have, right? Yeah, like outlets. Like we're talking, you need people, man, that think like you. So that for me, that that really hit home too. Like, who is that person listening to this? That that they're like feeling this, right? Right. They're like, damn, I don't have that community. The answer to the question about the the biological change perpetuating the biological definition of gender. You know what I mean? Or, or the definition of gender being being the biological definition that definitely stood out to me. And I hope our listeners was able to. Uh, hear what I heard, hear the difference, and understand that nothing is a monolith. Uh, many, many, many things in our life are multifaceted, multidimensional, including our listener. And whether they know it or not, there are many parts to them, mental and physical, that do not mean what other people think it means. Mm. You know what I mean? So for you to point that out when it comes to the uh, the biological and gender norms, and gender affirmation that was that was that stood out a lot and it was a very very good answer and very well well spoken answer and informative which is important um what do you think is a good strategy or a good practice maybe that a person who is battling generational beliefs and generational bias thinking as most of the world is when it comes to this concept just a daily practice maybe that someone could participate in to help them move further along in their and their ability to be open and help people affirm their identity. So one thing that I always tell people is a really good way if you're starting to explore your own belief system, especially when it comes to queerness and the trans community. If you're on social media, there are a lot of groups that that have a lot of uh, interaction with the queer community or who are for, you know, the queer community and allies and even just getting that kind of exposure to it and seeing like interacting with queer people and interacting with trans people is a lot of it, to be totally honest, because a lot of people who have kind of these either known or, you know, subconscious transphobic ideas, a lot of the time they don't know any trans people. They don't know any queer people, at least not directly in their personal lives. And so a lot of it is kind of that fear mongering from media, like you talked about before, where it goes to these extremes and just interacting with people from the community can broaden your perspective so much and, and realizing that trans people are normal people, man, queer people are normal people. Like we want the exact same things as everybody else. And we just want to be seen and respected. And that's literally it. It can be really hard with intergenerational belief systems because it's like you said, like, you know, nobody wants to go against grandma. And especially when you start talking about the authority layers that are put into place with, you know, intrafamilial, you know, hierarchy and things like that, it can be really, really hard. Um, so I would say that's a really good first step is just getting exposure to it. And the other part of it, I would say, is just be being gentle with yourself because once you kind of pop that lid off everything kind of happens on its own but it can take time and you don't have to get it all down immediately so i think being gentle with yourself and not expecting yourself to never mess up or get everything right away or you know change your belief system overnight that's not going to happen when you've had 30 40 50 years of whatever this belief system is in place that you already had and so right. I don't know. I always preach gentle love. So I think being gentle with yourself is really important. You know, I'll definitely continue to practice that, you know, because I still have issues with acceptance. Well, I'm speaking from the voice of a cisgender person who comes from the Bible Belt, Appalachian region of the country and surrounded by hardcore, deep rooted 
sometimes negative, pessimistic, religious thought. You know what I mean? And and so 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 I'm coming from that. And so now to be exposed and to be open, and I've gone to prison and I've seen I've seen trans women walk in the prison yard at a male prison. You know what I mean? I, I've seen that. I've, I've spoken with them. I've ate lunch with them. So I've had to come to terms, and I couldn't I couldn't be who I say that I am, and still treat them the way that you know the masses treat them. What do you think? And and this is sort of a broad question. Okay. The NAACP, right? They got started to protect the rights of African-Americans. They want to make things right within our community, right? I remember just being young, like it got to a point where every time something bad happened, Jesse Jackson was on a TV. And that was the only time he was on a TV was when something bad happened. There was never no real movement for anything real. Don't get me wrong. Jesse Jackson was a part of it when it started up. Martin Luther King, the whole nine. And it had good intentions. But it got to the point where nobody really respected them because it's like, man, here come Jesse. Every time something bad happens between the police and black people, he's he's there, but he's never in the forefront of anything that's relevant. So then people just were like, okay, something that was respected became like, okay, it became a joke. I'm asking this question with that preface. I remember LGBTQ as just being LGBTQ. Then like he calls it the alphabet mafia. Then they started adding all this stuff. And for a straight man, I'm like, I don't even know what half this stuff means. Yeah. How do you think they literally separate themselves from becoming, lack of a better term, a joke like the NAACP did? Because what eventually starts to happen is you're going to have some straight people that are going to be like, man, come on, man, what kind of new letter are they going to add now? I don't even know how to keep up with that. It just seems like a joke. Understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying they're a joke. I'm saying so that they don't end up like the end of did. It's still a reputable uh, uh, thing, but nobody really look looks at it as what it was supposed to be. It just became something that everybody was like, it's not even real. What do you think is going to happen within that community that's going to make that more relevant than, you know what I'm saying, to continue in the future on it's what it began with? First, what I'll say, and obviously I can only speak for my speak for myself. I can't speak for the queer community. But the first thing I'll say is that for people who have that reaction of, you know, what letter are they going to add in next? Their opinions are none of my business. Because what what they think of me and what they think of my community and what they think of what we are doing has no bearing on my community. In that specific context, obviously, when you start talking about anti-trans legislation and whatever, then it does have an impact. But when mm-hmm. we're talking about specifically that context, um, that's none of my business. Uh, and I purposely live that way, that that is none of my business. As far as what we would do to keep from hitting that point, I I don't really know that we're going to know that if if and when we're hitting that point until it does. You know what I mean? Movements are kind of alive in their own way. and a lot of the time it's really hard to predict how they're going to go. It's, mm. it's kind of a beast of its own. Um, but I know that, you know, I say my community, but I know that the queer community is pushing for equal rights for queer and trans folks. And we're pushing for people to just treat us like people. And that's really all we want. And I think if we keep pushing for that, I think that we're on a good trajectory to see social change over the yeah. you know the next few decades. You know, if you do want to know more about our community and you do want to maybe get involved or just look up some more, uh, we talked about a little bit at the beginning, but um, there are a couple of organizations I would implore you to get involved with or to look out to. Uh, there's the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, or GLAD. You've heard their name around. That's GLAD.org. You've got the Trevor Project at the TrevorProject.org. PFLAG, Parents, Friends, and Families of Lesbians and Gays, PFLAG.org. The National LGBTQ Task Force. And, of course, the Human Rights Campaign, HRC.org. You can find all sorts of resources, whether it be um, just affirming resources or maybe uh, sexual health, HIV, STD resources. If you've got questions and just want to know more, it's a good place to go. They've got comprehensive glossaries, um, maybe uh, can help you dive deeper into pronouns and neo-pronouns. And as always, you can always reach out to Safe Spaces and Faces podcast. 
We are available to just to listen to you, to listen to your story, to hear your feedback, to answer your questions, to entertain your comments, and as always, to uh, to represent your experience. Rachel, I want to thank you for uh, being here with us and for entertaining our conversation and for being a part of our vision and being a part of this series and really putting yourself uh, out there uh, to have that conversation with us. Um, And uh, we look forward uh, next week. We have another conversation coming um, because we are dropping this series on a weekly basis. So next Friday will be the next episode. So look forward to that, you guys. And as always, be the change you want to see. Thank you for opening your space to Safe Spaces and Faces. We hope that you too get involved in the conversation. Remember to like, follow, and share our social media. Tell us your story, share your experience, and together we can make a difference. Until next time, be the change you want to see.